Don't you love that song? Yeah, it's my favorite. Our intro music? Oh yeah, it's really good actually. Here's the cool thing. We didn't even buy that for this podcast. We're totally recycling it. But exclusive rights. Exclusively ours. If you play that on something and you make money from it, we're coming after you. Seriously, it's our only avenue so far that we've we've ascertained possible uh, that we could monetize the podcast. I don't think Carl pulling shirts are really in demand yet. But you know what? Let's talk about demand. Uh, a quick peek at our analytics this week. We are up to 120 subscribers to our RSS feed, the the show feed. So thank you guys. Yeah, that's it was it's surprising. This is episode 6 and we've done a couple little tweets to plug the show, but uh yeah, no formal marketing really. No, we did we did pay that one guy. We pay, there was this guy <laughs> On Instagram, and he was like, send me, cash at me $50 for followers. So we did. And he said, he's the first male that we've actually worked with. I was the first male. Yeah. Uh, really interesting stuff. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, uh, all things considered. A lot of shirtless photos of him with follow car pulling, which I hope, if you're someone that followed <laughs> that, thank you so much. We really appreciate your love of abs. Feeling pretty today, might delete this later. <laughs> um... Yeah, so anyway, we're on the road again. It's a it's a rainy day special, as it were, although this yeah. is off-peak hours recording time for Carl Pooling, so right. who knows how long this trip will take. But we've got some cool stuff, so let's jump into it. The last episode, What is God, Part 1. This is What is God, Part, part three. 2. Part, yeah, Part 3. <laughs> That's how God works. He's not defined by time. We skipped right over Part 2. Yep. Get used to it. We You actually already know about Part 2. Right. Um... In the future you. Future yeah. you knows, future about, you part knows about part two. So let's just like give a quick recap where we got to last time. We talked about dimensionality. We talked about how how third, and this is the key port, the key point, third. Key port? Key port. Look, the key look, port. <laughs> it's pretty early. It is. Um, more coffee. Yeah. In fact, cheers. Cheers. This is really fun driving. Great audio. Mm. So the key point that we really drove to last time was that God exists outside of the fourth dimension. He exists in the fifth dimension or higher. And when you start to understand a little bit about uh, quantum mechanics and string theory, which I will touch on just briefly in this episode because it's not really the point, but you can kind of get an idea of where where he actually is and what he what he might be up to, you know, yeah. in, in his relative space in quotes time in quotes and then also we talked about how we as humans we perceive each other as third dimensional creatures but we're not we're fourth dimensional creatures and if i was to see hunter with perfect sight what i might actually see is like we said last time kind of grotesque undulating snake of which i'm seeing cross sections so we talked about flatland yep and that was important because in flatland when you introduce a third dimensional object into the second dimension of flatland those trapped within the second dimension visualize that in their own possible way as a cross section, mm-hmm. right? And so moving up, let, let's just start here. Does yeah. that work for you? Oh, I would so, love to start there. So moving up the dimensions briefly, you've got, like we said, third dimensional time or third dimensional space, 
a length width height moving through fourth dimensional time. So like I said, the first dimension is simply a line connecting two points. There's one way to travel, right? That's how we experience time. So imagine that you took all of space, all of that third dimension with its branching pathways and your ability to move in and out of a plane in the dimension below, right? Imagine you crunched all of that back down to a point and said this point represents space as it is laid out at any given time. It's a snapshot of space, right? Mm -hmm. Think of it if you could take a picture of everything at a certain time. Now, go go a minute into the future and take another snapshot. That's another point, right? And then draw a line connecting those two points. Now you're talking about the fourth dimension. So we've collapsed the third dimension into singular points, and we have extrapolated. Um, we have extrapolated from what we know about the first dimension to say we'll treat these the differences in these two points as the fourth dimension. So if you were sitting and looking at the fourth dimension, you would see the the composite actions of all of the actors in the space doing their actions. Uh, as as time progressed. So maybe a, a helpful analogy here is like, maybe take a photo of you from like five years ago and then imagine putting that on a wall or do it and then put a photo of you from two years you know, ago and put that on a wall. Okay? Now imagine in between those two photos you can see all the life you live between those two points. Every action. Right. It's easier to think about it. Every dumb thing you've ever done, Steve. Right. Steve. So anyhow. Got it. Right. Steve. That's fourth dimensional. Right. So now, since we know what we proved last time, is we proved out the fact that God can't exist in time since he created it. And we right. use the space-time continuum to kind of drive at that point. Um, if you have questions about that, feel free to email us. Feel free to email. By, by the way, it's a really fun discussion, and we'd love to read your emails on the air. We actually have an email to read today, later so we'll get on. to that later on. But um, I say on the air like we're some old-timey broadcasting service. I thought the I thought the internet was in the cloud, so technically we are on the air, Chris. All, all the internet exists in clouds. Yep. It's raining right now, which means we're literally being Bathed splattered. Internet. Yes. We're bathing. <laughs> That sounds terrible. It sounds Although awful. technically we all always are being literally bathed in another the show. light of the An- internet. Another show. Okay, another so, show. So, um, the fifth dimension was the fifth dimension. And well, just as we added a branching line to add another dimension to the to the uh, first dimension to make the second dimension, right? We had length, let's say, if you light, laid that line out horizontally and then we added another line heading off branching upwards from that one to add height well the fifth dimension adds adds that arc to our system so now we have we have length and we have height and so when we were talking about angels before remember we said hang on to the cross sections because those are important these angels that are in the bible we talked about daniel and then uh you could also talk about the the um the angels that appear in at the beginning of Christ's life, right. you know, to announce his birth. It says things like all of a sudden there were in the heavens a multitude of angels, right? And and 
they simply appeared out of nowhere. It looks right. like they didn't take the requisite action to enter that space. Yeah, it looks like a spear dropped into a 2D plane. So, it's exactly right. Yep. So, and just like we were talking about, the spear could appear to teleport because it could leave the spatial line. Mm -hmm. If you can move, if you imagine time as a plane, uh, or, or it's more like a line, but let's say you imagine it like a ray. Like a, like a line that starts at you and proceeds forward. Well, now you add height to the equation. So you could imagine a, a creature that existed outside of time could lift up above the ray that is describing time and traverse so they could move up, move back, and drop in yep. to, to the timeline. That's exactly the concept that string theory reports is possible with a creature that has the ability to travel in the fifth dimension wonderful and so we also talked briefly about how um how the senses that you can experience in different dimensions are incredibly dependent on the actual spatial composition of your your dimension right uh, and i'm just going to say this and we'll move on to the next point because this is about what god is but one really cool thing that we should talk about at some point. And if you have questions, we can talk about it on the side. Email me. But there, God says that we were made in his image. So here's another, this kind of does tie in. This is a cool nugget about what God is. He says in Genesis that he created man and woman in his image. And what does that mean? You know, and it says in Revelation that when we go to be with them, we'll be given these new bodies. What do these bodies look like? Well, the idea that the third dimensional body that I see when I look at Hunter is the image of God that he created us in has to be wrong. Scientifically, it has to be wrong mm -hmm. because we know that for one, scientifically, that is not what Hunter is. Right. Hunter is a, Hunter is a sum of his total actions. He's not the corporeal body that presents itself in our dimension, right? Here's the other cool thing is that if you believe in if you believe in the bible if you're if you are spiritual then you believe in a spirit now a spirit could essentially be a fifth dimensional or higher object we really don't know a lot about a spirit because our tools are trapped in the third dimension in right. my opinion um but i also believe based on what the bible says about heaven and hell that the spirit is eternal which would indicate that it does not last in the third dimension. It exists somewhere else, potentially somewhere higher, because we observe that the body does not last in the third dimension eternally. And, and even the, the greatest scientific thinkers of our time now predict that the third dimension itself will not last permanently. Right? Right. Because of the heat, heat death. The heat death of the universe, right? The great contraction. Yep. Um, and, and there's a lot of different things they theorize about that. But the point stands potentially there is something eternal within you that is fifth dimensional or higher in nature. That is the spirit. And when God says he made man and woman in his image, I truly believe he's talking about your spirit and not your body. And the great thing about that is you want to know a little bit about what God might be. The cool thing is that there might be a replica, not with the power, but with the form inside of you. It's a great thing to think about, in Very my cool. opinion. Very interesting. And, and here's the other thing. Just like we said, your, your 
um, your senses and even your ability to speak, to make utterances, change depending on what dimension you're in. You know, it says in the Bible some really peculiar things about prayer. It says that prayer gives power to the angels, right? Which is kind of strange. And it also uh, says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It talks a lot about the actual transcendent power of prayer. And I'm just going to throw this out as a theory. Of course, it's not provable. But I think there is a, a fine chance that true prayer, not saying grace, but actually praying, is somehow engaging your spirit to make vibrations I use that word loosely because they're probably not literal vibrations, but to somehow act in the fifth dimension. I think it, I think if you believe in the Bible that you have to believe in the supernatural and the idea that you can pray and God, someone outside of space and time, will hear you and listen and even the angels are empowered by the moves that are made in that mode of thought, I think that that has got to be, that has got to be some kind of of vibration that you can make utilizing your spirit which is not a, a third dimensional creature yeah. anyway some unprovable but really cool ideas to think about that fit functionally perfectly with both the bible and with quantum mechanics i think in addition to that you can you can take like your actions in a whole different light too because there's a lot of weird rules and laws sometimes that are placed in the bible and placed in you know, even how we govern our lives, like, um, and it's, if someone was telling me to jump out of the way of the car and I had no idea what a car was, I don't think I could react properly. I don't think I would, you know, necessarily believe that person when they were telling me to do that, ah. you know? And so if there's things that I'm being told to do and they seem strange to me, but it's by a creature that, you know, literally is outside of you know, doesn't observe things in the same way that I do, has a better field of view, you know, a bird versus a human being in some sense. Um, maybe I should listen to that. Maybe there's things that, you know, I'm doing with my inaction or, you know, bad choices for, you know, maybe, or seemingly confusing choices, you know, to us sometimes that have consequences that I'm not able to fully understand. Sure. You know? I, I mean, uh, if you think about it, and I don't mean that in a physical sense, like, you know, if you cheat on your wife or girlfriend, they might get pissed at you and people will think you're a bad person. It may do something to the fabric of a reality beyond ours that we're incapable of understanding. Right. There's, there's, no, there's no way to prove, but there's no reason to not suspect that the beings that you interact with in a dimension that you can't perceive are affected by the posture of your spirit as far as your morality. There's no reason not to assume that. Right. Um, it's it's one of the greatest postulations of man is that there's something out there that cares. Which it's weird that we'd even come to that conclusion and yet we have in spades. And maybe right. that's wish fulfillment, but I don't think so. It kind of goes to what you were saying about the image of God in us, right? Because it's, right. Like, it's like this. It's like there's a lot of things that exist in the third dimension that have no knowledge that there's a fourth dimension going on. There's a fourth dimension game. Somehow we do. Somehow we've gotten to that point. And you can say it's, you know, it's the evol it's evolution, it's the fact that we've been able to develop, you know, the proper reasoning to see, you know, our our actions in the future and things, but 
it seems a little it seems a little light to me is all it seems that that's pretty even even if the mechanism was evolution to get to that point it seems pretty amazing that we could begin to theorize about something beyond ourselves right um, anyway and, and just the theory of revolution of revolution revolution vive la france, vive la france. Uh, the theory of evolution itself dictates that the ones that are best equipped to survive reproduce and then create more viable offspring right. this is the basic tenet of natural selection uh, a process which I am totally cool with. Dumb people, just, you know. Dumb people? Put the fork in the electrical outlet because you might unlock it. That's a bit extreme uh, um, than what I was going to go with. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, except for not, if you're actually dumb enough to do that. Who am I to stop you? Who am I? Um, <laughs> Cast the first stone. <laughs> anyhow, um, totally derailed myself with making fun of dumb people, which shows you how intelligent I pretend to be. Mm. Um, where were we headed? Uh, we... Right, natural selection. Yep. So, the strange thing is that human beings, green, human beings have this strange yearning, Ooh. this strange, uh, spin the tires on the 200, 2010 Honda Civic. 210 Honda Civic. Wow, that would be an old Honda Civic. That would be a very cool Honda Civic. <laughs> I would like that. It's like Fred Flintstone Honda Civic. Okay, natural selection. Right. That that those who are able to to survive will reproduce. Not only Here's, that, those who are able to survive and be chosen based on the qualities that allow them to survive will right. reproduce. Uh, and, and especially when you reach a human stage, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. mate okay. selection gets really complicated. Yep. But at any rate, the weird thing is that humans, you know, most animals need food, shelter, depending on the animal, and sex. These are the things that they require. Humans require those things to survive but we have these these intrinsic longings that are deeper than those right. that lead us literally to self-harm mm. you know this this uh, ben shapiro puts it wonderfully there is a god-shaped hole in society uh and y you actually look at at suicide rates going up in america at a pretty alarming rate you've got uh suicide rates in, in many developed countries far outweighing those of of some non-developed countries, which is strange, because you would think that suicide would be a function of suffering, right? And it appears that that's not so. Right. It appears that that this this blatant slap in the face to the idea that the dominant survive, that those who are most capable survive, is strange. As as humans, as we become the apex predator and the most sophisticated animal on on Earth, somehow. We have also developed more needs that make us less survivable. And you mm -hmm. could say that one doesn't outweigh the other, sure. But it seems that there's something more complicated at play than just survival of the fittest here. Right. And so, let's, so that's a great aside. But let's get back to what God is. Right. So, so we talked about that God is, is fifth dimensionally, exists somewhere outside of that. And his spirit, uh, uh, his likeness, when he says he made us in his image... He had to be talking about his spirit. It, he he can't exist solely as a third dimensional creature like like we see him now. Now Christ was an an incarnate version of God, a fourth dimensional version of God that was examined by folks in the third dimension. But but God, for him to exist in the beginning, that could not have been a third dimensional body. No. So God doesn't look like you. How can how could a third dimension body live in a void? 
even even if the right. world begins like we scientifically assume it to, you know, it, there's there's no third dimension for it to exist in. Correct. It has to something had to exist in a void. Right. Whatever that is, it's probably God. And this has led me to some of my more recent speculations, which I'm not ready to talk about. But that the dimension that makes sense for God to live in is actually more like the eleventh. Um, but anyhow, of course, because uh, the eleventh is a one and a one. Uh, Interestingly enough, it should be 111 because it's three and one. 11 11 is where uh, super string theory assumes that the strings that create the particles and waves of the universe vibrate. Um, But it actually makes functional sense for God to exist there as well. Okay, so so I think we've done, we've probably have everyone confused and going, (laughs) why did I listen to this show? It hurt my head a lot. And I think, I think we, I if you if you stayed on board for through that. Well done. Good job. If it's making sense to you, even better job. You're really paying attention. You're listening to the keynotes. But I think the piece that is going to kind of bridge people here is, okay, I hear you saying a lot of weird words. There's a dimension beyond us. There's this time thing. I get that. There's something beyond time. I mean, what are you talking about? And so let's do it like this. I think it's an easy buy if you – it's something like – do you believe there could be creatures beyond us? And if the answer is, well, I believe in God or I believe in something like that, okay, well, we've kind of laid out the groundwork to get you there from a physical space of what that actually means. But I think one of the best ways we have to explore like really big ideas like this that are kind of beyond human understanding, and maybe even a better way to say it is beyond current human understanding, is art, is fiction, mm-hmm. is stuff like that. Because, you know, maybe if I... You know, if I describe, you know, it as, you know, if I, if there's a, if there's a valley and no one's gone into that valley yet and no one knows what's there, probably guarding that in almost, uh, supernatural terms is actually a really good way of preparing us to go into that valley because no one knows what to expect there. And so I think, you know, creating a story about the valley, creating a myth that surrounds it and teaches a culture of how to interact with that place because no one's marked it, mapped it out yet. Right. No one understands what's there. That's the dream, right? That's that's exactly. that's examining chaos and abs- extracting from it a type of order. Yeah. Uh, something that you can you can ide- you can grip um, in a in a metaphysical sense. Yeah. So, let's grip this time thing and what it would be like to interact with a creature outside of our time outside of our space right and and we talked about this we talked about this briefly i i think i said this before but when people tell me they want to understand more about god i tell them to go read hp lovecraft there's there's not one better who has has not dealt with the idea of god but dealt with the dealt with the idea of an eldritch being in that something that exists you're, you're going to tell people outside of our our dimensions there we go and uh, uh, you know this everyone says you know you know, God is this, God is that. But H.P. Lovecraft said, okay, if gods existed, what would they actually look like? And he came up with the pantheon of eldritch creatures, right? You have uh, Yogg, Sothoth, and Cthulhu, and uh, some other ones that are too hard to pronounce, like Nuguroth. Um, but anyway, these were creatures that, that did not exist in our space, did not exist in our timeline, were non-describable geometrically they were non-euclidean um some of them were completely formless and they would interact with 
with people and change them drastically. Yeah, and there's a couple of good ways to learn a little bit. And if you're like, basically, H.P. Lovecraft was doing stories and telling very entertaining stories, but taking the ideas behind his stories very seriously. And this guy's turning towards there's us There's literally street. a guy going the wrong way down the street. Okay. okay. All right. He turned, so that was a very strange U-turn. But, but I think the... Uh, I, I think if you want to, you can obviously go and read some of his works, go and see some of the things he's written about, because then it will give you that first-hand you know, view into what he's writing about and discussing. Um, Poe and Hawthorne are kind of good steps in some of their writings when they get into the more surrealist stuff. Sure. It's not perfect. It's really not the same thing, but you know, it can kind of. If you've read some of that stuff, you might be like, okay, some of this kind of fits with that. Another great thing is go if you don't play video games. Uh, you can read some stuff on Bloodborne. Bloodborne is literally one of the best. And I think, and I think it's there. It's almost too bad that the that the curve to getting to Bloodborne is to play an extremely difficult video game that requires a lot of hand-eye coordination and things like that. And if you lack that skill, you're actually missing on a really, really, really good look at what this universe looks like. But there's actually some very helpful. Um, articles online if you don't have the time and they would actually take you less time than to play the game and stuff go look at those they're yeah. pretty interesting and they give a pretty good idea of what's going on and, you and can fill in the gaps to get started just the beginners the beginner kit yeah. read just the cthulhu mythos it's one of the best now cthulhu isn't one of the elder gods per se but it it kind of starts out with um you know, oh, there's this scary thing that lives in the swamp that's somehow strange, and, right. and it does—it's not quite definable in human terms. And then it goes, uh, you know, there's the mountains of madness, and you're like, oh God, these things are from a different planet. What planet mm -hmm. are these from? And then it's like, oh no, they're not from a different planet. They're from a, a entirely different universe, right? Um, and not just a different one, a higher one. Yeah. And so th there's a there's a number of things that happen when a human being interacts with one of these gods. For, first of all, often simply to behold one of them for an instant induces madness. Um, and the reason that that H.P. Lovecraft justified this, one, he was a horror author, but the second one is that these things would not only be something that no human had ever seen, they would be completely... Imp they, they would be imperceptible while you perceived them. Right. Their, their makeup in general, due to their inherent nature, would cause them to be undefinable by your brain. And imagine, imagine if you were to grasp such an object, the proper response is madness. Because if it's something you're looking at and you can see, yet it's impossible to perceive, there's nothing like that that you've ever experienced in your entire life. Right. Maybe. Maybe, you know. Your brain stack overflows. Yes, exactly. Just kidding, not stack overflows. One of the things that's really interesting about that is that's the proper response if you don't know what that thing is that you're looking at, how it's going to react to you. Is it, you don't know if it's kind, you don't know if it's sweet, or if it's got a chocolates for you. <laughs> it's more than likely, in our brains are kind of built like this, to react in fear and to react in um terror and that's the proper way to react and you can see that in the bible when and it talks about the beginning of wisdom is the fear of god absolutely that's where that ties in but the other part that's really interesting is look at all the other times when people interact with with things like this in the in the bible which is like very interesting it's like when they interact with angels or they interact with god the prophets and all those things what's the first thing they do fall to the ground and worship and it's like 
something about bowing down actually gives you the proper reference point to interact with something outside of our dimension. For one, you're not looking at it. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're not looking at it. But it also, but it also is it shows that you understand what it is and you have the proper reverence for it. Right. And the only way you can have the proper reverence for it is if you know it's not going to kill you. Like, you know that its interaction with you is strangely beneficial, merciful, and good. Well, which is interesting, but maybe not not even that you, maybe not that even that you know it, but that you hope for it. Sure. Here's another thing it, it lays out. And this is one of the reasons that the, that I love the Bible as opposed to the other religious texts that I've read. Um, it's not that you know that you'll get mercy. You know that mercy is your only chance. That's a better way to put it, yeah. Yeah. Mercy is the only way out. That there is literally nothing you can do right. when you interact with one of these creatures. Uh, I think as far as... Uh, the other cool thing in H.P. Lovecraft is often the human beings that interact with it are completely transfigured. Yeah. Uh, they... They interact with it, and the uh, quote-unquote vibrations... I use the term vibrations because so much of what matter is and action is on Earth is vibrations. Sound is vibrations. Heat is vibrations. Touch is is vibrations that are sensed uh, through your nerves, through electromagnetic and nuclear repulsion. I mean, when you break things down to their, their composite level, everything is, everything is vibrations, basically. It's kinetic energy uh, is makes up the vast majority of all things that are perceived so even light is is moving at a specific hertz that vibrates that you can perceive with a an optical lens like your eye so um so the actual vibrations that don't exist in the in the third dimension that this creature emits as an act of being in that space causes the individuals who are who are affected by those vibrations to transfigure grotesquely uh, sometimes they die uh, sometimes they sprout arms sometimes they sprout eyes all kinds of these different things which is basically to say that 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 it's like it's like the settlers bringing smallpox to America on accident these things that come from such a higher place, come down and even potentially in in hp lovecraft story they don't even understand why you're dying right they don't even understand why you're transfiguring because they you are simply not equipped to deal with the vibrations that that creature emits there's actually something really interesting there that some of the early uh america i I think i'm saying this right i might have to double check myself on this but i think some of the early american tribes that interacted with uh english settlers for the first time actually as like a society completely forgot about the incident not because it was uh they've seen people before but what was happening was so outside the realm of reality it was just their brains couldn't process it and it was forgotten it was just like nope not sticking right it's really interesting and that's just other humans that's just right? other humans it's just a situation and so like Me- it, memory loss that. right and memory loss is definitely a thing that happens in hp lovecraft okay think about this in the bible uh, Moses. Oh, snap. Right. So, one thing I want to do before you get to Moses, real quick. Alright. Is I want to talk to you about... So, like, a dragon is a really interesting form because it's a sim- it's essentially an apex predator. Alright, Hunter, jerk the steering wheel to the left as hard as possible. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it really hard, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back. Just give me a second. Okay, so dragons, if they exist... 
as we describe them in, in in mythos. The mythos, right? Right. They they are three things, right? They're they're all the three predators that have killed human beings in one. They're very big cats. They're big cats. Right? They're birds, they're, and they're they're lizards. Well, snakes. Snakes. Yeah. Right. Because they breathe fire, which is poison, essentially. I actually find it very interesting when I look at the same uh, building blocks that go into Cthulhu fall into those same categories. Huh. Right? He has so it's the wings of a bat. He has the wings of the bat. He has the body of a human, which is like the most dangerous predator that man faces now. It's not a snake anymore. It's us. They, right? they technically describe him as a gorilla, which is like a really strong human. Oh, okay. Yeah, same thing. Kind of, yeah. yeah. It changes book to book. He changes forms as well, but anyhow. He changes forms. And, so, and then it's also like head of an octopus, which is like that undiscernible creature from the deep. It like has an intelligence that is beyond what we think it should. It takes apart and builds the machines we give it. Right. It spits ink, you know, like it's very interesting. It's like I think Lovecraft was honestly wrestling with like the thing that comes from the void lives in this huh. space that is something so vicious and terrifying to us and wants us. And right. I think that's the wrong way to think about it because our existence right now proves two things. One, it doesn't care. So it's definitely not vicious, right? What doesn't care? The, the, the Whatever this thing is that made our, our world. The creator, okay. Yeah, it doesn't care, right? Because we're here we are. We're having the podcast and we're still okay. So you're saying it, it doesn't... It doesn't detest our existence so much as to destroy us because it's within its purview. Yes. Okay. Or, second, it has a relationship with us that it deems good sure. in some way. It has to be one of those two things. Yeah, so, mutually beneficial, right. something like that, or or perhaps just interest, but at any rate, isn't bothered. So the interactions that you see in that book are grotesque and terrifying, but... God seems to be better than that, which is good news. Good news, everybody. It's, good news. it's really good news. Yeah, that's probably. Let's let, put a pin in that because that's probably where we'll wrap up the show. Uh, well, but, yeah, but I think that's the perfect step into what you're going to do with Moses. Oh, oh sure, yeah, yeah no, it, it definitely comes into play. Yeah, the, you know, uh, the other cool thing, just a side note about what we talked about with the God, is that like Cthulhu, he would drive people insane. He speaks into their brain, and what he, what he could do, he existed outside of time. Uh, now, Cthulhu was occasionally bound by time when you get really deep into the mythos, but he could talk into someone's mind, and literally, because he exists outside of time, he could fill their mind with an infinite amount of words and language and, and just drive them mad, complete sensory overload, which we know um, has the ability to cause post-traumatic stress disorder in humans, has the ability to um, simply cause memory loss when your senses are completely overloaded. Uh, often happens in war. Right. But at any rate, it, so that's kind of how he existed outside of our space with his non-Euclidean geometry, his ability to effectively teleport and uh, travel vast distances in no time. And then it, his he existed outside of time, just like the god that we're theorizing. This is the functional god that uh, Cthulhu was when H.P. Lovecraft was describing him. So anyhow, and we, t- we were talking about transfiguration. Uh, the the vibrations would just simply wreck the humans and the lower dimensional creatures that he interacted with. Okay. Moses. Moses. Now, 
what's the set? What's the setup for this? God's revealing Himself to Moses. Is this on? It's on Mount Sinai, right? Yeah, when yeah. He's getting the Ten I, Commandments. I can't remember. I think it's the second time He's getting the Ten Commandments. It's something. It's something like that. It's not the first time Moses has gone up to the mountain, and it's not the last. Right. Um, I think anyway. Uh, it's. I don't have the chronology, the chronological events perfect in my mind, but Moses is having an interaction with God on top of Mount Sinai, which to all of you know according to the book of Exodus all Israel's is there looking up the mountain they can't touch the mountain because it's sacred interesting and they yeah. and the entire top of the mountain is covered in smoke fire clouds yeah, shrouded we don't really know it's like you can't see it right so Moses is up there where we can't see him and Moses says to God let me behold you and God says to look at me would mean your death what does that mean to simply to examine God would cause death. And and there's a couple of different ways to read that. One of them is to say that God requires the death of anyone that that sneaks a peek, which right. I think is pretty stupid. That seems not correct. The other read is that literally the hardware in your skull dies when it tries to perceive that which exists outside of the, its realm. Um, and that theory is given a bunch of credence when God says, instead, I'll turn my back and you can look on my back. And then what happened to Moses? He was transfigured. Transfigured. He, his face shone bright like a light for what, a week or something? I can't remember. I think it, I think actually it was for the rest of his life. I, if I, if I remember the same, I remember it's a, it's a long period. I, I thought it wore off, but Maybe I don't it's know. it's 40 days. Anyway, for a long period, his face is bright. It's so bright, which he doesn't know is very interesting. He doesn't know that his face is doing this. The only time that he knows it is like when he comes back to the camp at Israel. Everyone says, Moses, your face is glowing. Put this cloth around it so we can talk to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's very so, so not just like, hey, Moses, that's a nice that's a nice eyeliner you've got going on today. Like, no good God Moses we cover up. I can't. You. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's secondhand exposure to the to the great one. And I thought I thought I think there's at least some portion of that where the where the uh the ark is at that got, Mo- Moses would actually wear the veil around his face and then take it off when he went into the holy of holies. I would so, have to look into that. But. Yeah, I want to read this a little bit tighter, but I think that I think that's the truth. I think that's what's written there. Um so anyway, very but weird because it's like Moses interacts with this god right. and physically is transformed by the event and God is somewhat merciful merciful in, yeah and not giving him the full exposure if you will of what he is he's not giving him lethal rats of, of uh, you know of Eldritch being right he's like no 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 you can't you can't handle the full image of what I am because if I was to give you that it would murder you you wouldn't be sane and yeah, and but even what does happen creates such an event that everybody has to stop and stop and like react to it. Right. Like it becomes so uh, physically altering to the universe that people cannot but help but change according to it. And, and I'm just going to throw out a couple of ideas, mm. uh, and then we probably wrap this one up. Sure. Why but, not? but. You know, there's a couple there's a couple of cool things that that all this discussion leads. So, like we said when we started, you don't want Sunday school God. You want fifth dimensional God. He's As better. physics would dictate, he has to exist. 
if indeed he does exist. So we learned that he, he doesn't exist in our space and our time. We've learned that that uh, he is he is not only powerful because he can do anything he wants. He's powerful because the thing that he is scrambles the brain as a as fact of its existence. Right. It's not just like he can he can bop you and you die. You literally die because he is. Right. And you know there's there's a couple different ways to think about that. One of them is that it it overloads your hardware and you you overheat and your CPU burns. The other way to think about it is that when you examine the fifth dimensional creature as a creature that possesses the fifth dimension within you in a spirit, you awaken to the idea that you are not the thing that you thought that you were. Yeah. And that there's some real truth there at least philosophically that the, that you that beholding beauty in a certain sense makes you acutely aware of what you lack and the idea that you're not being everything that you have the potential to be. Here's a, here's a really good way to think about that. During your day, you're very concerned about what your present self is doing. You know, what am I eating? How am I interacting with people? Am I being a good person? Yada, yada, yada. If you're like me, a common reaction is something violently just appears from your past in your head, reminding you about a poor decision you made. You do everything you can to justify that action, justify the fact that that wasn't who you were, justify the fact that you've changed, or just ignore it flat out. Imagine being able to do that all the time for all your actions and never being never being able to stop looking at them. Sure. I mean, just that, that's not exactly what we're talking about, but that's a step to it, and just that alone should... Like, if you understand how it feels to be in that moment, imagine being in that moment all the time and not being able to stop it. Right. Yeah. That's pretty bad. So, there's that. There's also, and and we don't really have time to get into it, but this idea, now when you connect it to Christ, oh my goodness. Right. It it opens the world up when you start thinking about God in this way and as Christ as a fourth dimensional embodiment of that God. You know, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not... He's not saying, Dad, Dad, I don't see you. It is the it is the death throes of the eldritch being committing committing deicide. Exactly. Right? It's it, it is an insane idea to to uphold. And then when you think about what would actually happen if that unstoppable force was met by an immovable object. Uh, and there's been lots of theorizing about that in the physical world, about all the hell that would literally break loose when those forces collided. I mean, it would tear our universe in half, uh, given certain circumstances. Or perhaps a veil. Right. Or perhaps a veil. And, and yeah, the dead rose. Of course they did. You know what I'm saying? Right. That, uh, that idea com- completely, you know, the rending in twain of the eldritch infinite of God, of course it was the craziest thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. It's the single defining characteristic of the story of humanity, in my opinion. But anyhow. It's so strange to me, Christopher, that, you know, the language around that time is, like, wild, obviously. Sure. But here's the thing, like, we cannot stop talking about that event. Oh, yeah. Why Why is that? 
Why, why is it, there's people that die for causes all the day, all the time that you are not aware of, that stand up for good things and do good things and act justly. And I think there's even things that happen a lot of the time that are actually happening in places that are beyond our three-dimensional field of vision and that are interacting with us on maybe not a daily basis, but on a consistent basis that we're not necessarily aware of. And that we, but I don't want to get into that too much, but the point is, why is that something we still care about? Something happened there that was beyond the normal, beyond the pale, and it's possibly explainable and concrete objective fact, but objective fact doesn't seem to do nearly justice to what it's done to our existence. Not like we've talked about before, there's there's truth is a complicated word and there's deeper truth than physical truth. If you're talking about objective fact grounded in the in the third and fourth dimension, the physical truth that we can observe certainly doesn't explain uh, what occurred there. Here's the here's the thing. You know, and, and JPB talks about this a lot, but what is a spirit? Well, the spirit could be a lot of things, uh, but the one thing that's true about a spirit is that it is, in some ways, a pattern that can repeat itself, that can replicate in a certain sense. Um, you know, you have a song that the the performers of the song are dead, but the song exists still, and it exists in a lot of different ways. It exists in your mind. It can exist in a digital space on zeros and ones written on a hard disk. It can exist in the grooves of vinyl um, that reproduce it when an electromagnetically charged needle is drugged through them. You know, there's this spirit that can exist uh, regardless of the underlying substrate, right? Mm. And so in that sense, people say, did Christ come back from the dead? Well, technically we don't know, but it's certainly true that his spirit lives on. That's interesting. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it has to be. And so even if you're skeptical, that's a time to pay attention. Yep. It's a time to, to check your preconceived notions about what is and is not feasible and think to yourself quite simply, I don't know why I'm here. And if the consequences of my actions here matter, then I should pay attention to this thing that seems to that that one has a, has lived on through a society that has tried to leave it behind, yeah. and two um, seems seems to. I'm trying to think of the right words to say. But seems to exist regardless of the underlying substrate, I suppose. Yeah. Uh took a good right turn there at the end uh but here here's the cool thing for today you have a you know i would say you know almost provable fact that interacting with the infinite creates a change in third dimensional objects yeah so even even if you don't think it exists you can theorize that if it did exist it would do that thing exactly and if you're someone that believes in an infinite thing that's pretty cool because guess what it's changed you if that's true yeah yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's one of the wonderful ways that the Bible marries physics perfectly. Perfectly, um, which is weird. And and, and the the elite, the uh, educational and scientific elite will tell you that that's not true, and they're simply wrong. The here's the other thing, and we'll just end it there. God is terrifying. When yeah. we started out, it said you don't want cuddly God, you mm-hmm. want terrifying God, and why? Because terrifying God is a monster. But he also has mercy and grace. And, and like we were talking about with, with Moses, 
the the god that is a monster has the ability to to make good on his promises mm. his words have teeth and also it's just such a beautiful picture he he is terrifying and yet he loves us and yeah. when you when you view god in that way and you think about uh, him as this this horrifying eldritch being that he has to be if he exists. You quit asking yourself dumb questions like why do bad things happen to good people, you know? Yeah. And instead, you start saying, "Thank God that we are allowed to exist." Yeah. Because I... there's no reason to suspect that we should be. Mm. The truth of the matter is that we don't know why we're here. We have no right to exist. You know, people try and use stars to date the Earth because we see the light from a star that's X trillion light years away is the speed or the distance that light travels at the speed of light in a year, which is assumed to be constant. Uh, quantum theory slaps you. But, but, so we say, oh, so the universe has got to be 30,000 trillion years old. Well, guess what? The second law of thermodynamics dictates that the, the ch- percent chance, if nothing existed, for that star to exist as well as the stream of photons that exist bridging the gap from that star to your eye as well as the percent chance that your eye should exist in this universe added all up together and multiplied by whatever you care about, it equals zero. We shouldn't be here. Yeah. And so there's no reason to assume that the thing that brought us here is good. There's no reason to assume that. Even if you believe in the Big Bang, you still deal with the problem of the unmoved mover mm. and that which was not begot what begot it. That um, issue still pertains. So the idea that things should be good on Earth are ridiculous. They are ridiculous. So it's not just that God is good because he's called good in the Bible. God is good because we know for a fact that we weren't built immediately for eternal torment because we're here. And when you start thinking about what God could be and what God has every right to be, which go read H.P. Lovecraft, what he has the right to be, the fact that he isn't is phenomenal. Yeah. And you'll get your, you'll get your mind out of this small ball realm where you want to put God in the box of human morality instead start treating him like the eldritch horror that he is and that can really cause some gratefulness and you know there's times that we don't act like it for sure but man I want to live a life like I treat my own existence here with the awe and wonder that it should invoke and thinking properly about God and using the tools that he's given us as a way to get to that place. A terrifying God is worthy of revolt. A merciful God is worthy of abuse. A terrifying, merciful God is worthy of worship. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. I take what you say in a long sentences, and then I just <laughs> boil it down to some good bullet points for the kids to take back home, you know? Sure. So, hey, email time. We've never done this. Yeah, so we got, we got an email for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for listening and this one comes from Ben a friend of the show one of our good friends our only friend of the show he he signs it uh, just and I'm going to anonymize some of the data he signs it our sexiest listener oh which is fun that's, oh. that's a little cheeky a little playful how do we change the current political landscape while most millennials seem to be trapped in a socialist dogma so let's put the timer at three minutes I think Socialist dogma is one way to describe it. I would say that really the the root cause of the problem, Ben, so maybe just a little bit of a change in the formulation of the question, is 
you know, where does the socialist dogma come from? I think that we change, we change society for the better once we start addressing the root problem, which I think is the idea that we're all so comfortable. That, that especially children today, millennials today, don't have any real struggle, right? Yeah. And so that has led to this idea. I think that's what that has led to the repopularization of socialism is that we, there, of course, there will always be food in the grocery store. Of course, that there's enough comforts to go around. There's enough Hennessy to drink. Um, just kidding. Don't drink Hennessy. So at any rate, I think that we, we need to remind people that those who don't work don't eat. And we need to remind people that uh, life doesn't have any padded corners. And when, uh, at least in my personal interactions, people that start hearing that point uh, start renegotiating some of their some of their ideas about socialism. The other thing to remember is that capitalism has wrecked poverty. Nothing has put a bigger dent in poverty than capitalism. Socialism certainly certainly hasn't. You know, if you just if you just want to say that you're a scientifically minded person and you want to go with the data and someone who is proclaiming the benefits of socialism or acting like an economic expert or something like that, simply remind them that in every chance that that socialism, true socialism, has been tried, not some kind of mercantilism like you have in Norway or Sweden or corporatism. Um, it's ruined people that they've been eating each other in the streets. You know, people say capitalism is mean, but it's literally cut world poverty in half over the past five decades. So how about that? Uh, I think my two cents on this is um, usually I think these come back to values. Um, and I think there's a misplaced amount of value on uh, money and you know western culture sure and i think that's easily seen because of the way some people work their jobs and you know how much effort they put into things and we also have you know a lot of people at the very very top of our society making a large large portion of that and in that because we value so much of our life uh by money we see that as a huge affront to us and we think that's you know cruelty but I think, and I think you can also see this by a lot of the people that are pushing for socialism tend to lean left, mm-hmm. and virtually almost no one on the left gives to charity. So obviously True. their money means you know something to them. There's some you know there's something you know even poor people can give money away. That's not a really good analysis well, in my mind. But even still, they they belay their own. Uh, adherence to the tenet that money is supreme by the fact that they think if you throw money at a problem it will fix the problem right and that's kind of my point is i think there's too much faith put in money that money is the thing that can fix you know injustice i'm not saying money can't it can help you know but i don't think it's the thing and i think we think money can provide value or meaning because it'll allow me to pursue the things i find valuable and meaningful and the truth of that is Money takes care of the basics. It lets you eat. It lets you survive. It lets you have a nice place to poop. That's what money does. <laughs> and I'm being honest when I say that. That's what that's what it does. Right. It's, that's all it can accomplish. And as someone that's really had to build that part of their life for the past couple of years, because that's just the state of life I am, I have to get that one thing right. Didn't make me happy. You sure. know, it made me, it, the other things surrounding it made me happy. But that was the chore I had to do to have the other things. Right. And. Now that I know what it takes to get there, I'm not necessarily concerned with making it to higher rungs of success. You know, I'm more concerned about helping and being a part of community. So and, um, as I far think that's as, pretty cool. As far as changing the political landscape, then, I would say know those facts. Yep. Have your facts. 
and and your personal experience, like Hunter was talking about. Preach better values. And talk about them. Talk yeah. about them to anyone that will listen. Hey, don't indoctrinate children, but tell children the truth. Lots of children don't know about Russia. You know, I'm not saying like babies, but 13-year-olds, no reason they shouldn't know about, they know about what Germany. happened in Russia. Yeah, exactly. Tell them about Russia. So anyway, don't shut up about it. We've reached the point where the, the, the danger is real enough that you shouldn't shut up about it. So anyhow. Let's do it. That was fun. Yeah. What is God part two? What is God part three? Maybe in the future. What is God part eight? Not next time. Okay. I have to I have to own the libs next time. Right. That's a joke, family. That's a joke, family. Um, all right. So follow me at Emotional Carl. Follow me at Chris X Carl. Follow the show at Carl Pooling. Email us at carlpooling at gmail.com. Listen to us and subscribe. Leave a comment. Rate. That would be awesome if we're, you guys could do it. It would really help us out. We're on Google. We're yeah. on Spotify. If you want to talk about us there, if you go there, why don't you rate us on iTunes? Because that's where more people are. Yeah. People. Rate, rate us on iTunes, Google, uh, uh, or Spotify. Right. And uh, that's been Carl Pooling. That's been Carl Pooling. Get out of the back seat. We're home.